welcome to the Spring Forth Podcast, a ministry of the First Congregational Church of McGregor, Iowa. This recording has been made for October 18th, 2020, the 20th Sunday of Pentecost. Good morning. We receive our call to worship from Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous work among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be revered above all gods and for all gods of the peoples and idols. The Lord has made the heavens, honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name, bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord is king. The Lord is firmly established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming and he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and his people with truth. Jesus and his glory of Jesus. 
Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, in Christ you have revealed your glory among the nations. Preserve the works of your mercy, that your church throughout the world may persevere with steadfast faith in the confession of your name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers, constantly remembering before our God and our Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that you have been chosen because of our message of the gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of persons we prove to be among you for your sake, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For in spite of persecution, you received the word with joy, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place of your faith in God that has become known, so that we have no need to speak about it. For the people of those regions report to us what kind of welcome we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And we wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us all, from the wrath that is coming. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of the Holy Word. We ask that you would strengthen and guide us this morning, Lord. We ask now that the opportunity to meditate upon your word would be something that would bring to us renewal and hope and a plan for living. That we who connect ourselves to your scriptures, will not find ourselves in need of anything, but that we will be warmed and sustained and motivated by the truths that you have echoed so long ago, truths that still resonate this very moment in our own current time and place. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. May you bless, keep, and guide us now and always in Jesus' name. This is a passage in which Paul is actually conveying good news to the Thessalonians. And it's good news not on behalf of anything that Paul has done, but on the work that they have done. Paul speaks about that word has come to him by way of Macedonia and Achaia, that there have been Christian communities that are reporting that the church in Thessalonica has been exceedingly emblematic. That with the instructions that they had first received in Paul when he did ministry amongst them, it is now starting to send 
out shockwaves in the surrounding community. And people are starting to say that there is a church community that truly not only talks the talk, but they are walking the walk. This passage is important for those of us who would have any question as to what is our role as people of faith? What is our role when we come and present ourselves before the church? When we are presented in the sanctuary by our parents for baptism, or we are baptized at a later state in life, what are our expectations? What are the expectations for us when we make that connection with Christ? Paul boils it down to imitation. It is always about imitation that we see the image of this man called Jesus who becomes Christ and we see his actions amongst those of his own time. We see how he engaged with them, the compassion that he had, the patience that he exhibited, the forgiveness that flowed so easily from his person. We see this Example of a man who is trying to connect those around him with the living, breathing reality and example of God. And we are to do likewise. Jesus even gives us this encouragement. I will be with you even to the end of the age, and you will be my witnesses. So Paul is demonstrating, at least he is repeating back to the Thessalonians, that they have done indeed just that. They received the word from Paul and his emissaries. They were people without knowledge, without understanding. They were still worshiping idols. Paul came, preached the word to them, brought the word to them in three dimensions, showed them the living, breathing reality of a life in faith. Now, he does say that in that life of faith will come some persecution because you have to understand the early church was still being pressed upon by the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire did not want this movement to gain swell. It didn't want the adherents to be able to be emboldened by this message of a man who sacrificed everything for our redemption. But the message of the gospel was so powerful it cut through the trappings of empire. And it gave people a new sense of self. They no longer felt lost. And they no longer felt confused. They had a new identity, a new purpose, a mission. And when you have an identity, a purpose, and a mission, nothing can stop you. You know who you are, you know where you're going, and you simply follow that path through to its logical completion. So Paul took a group of individuals who knew nothing about Christ, and he just modeled Christ before them. He spoke about his own past. He spoke about his own reality as a man who was bent on destroying the church, then became a part of the church. And how the church's compassion for him opened his eyes and opened his mind to the reality that this God that he is now privileged to serve is a God that's full of compassion, a God that does not seek to destroy, but seeks to embolden and set free through love. So this was the Christ that Paul was proclaiming to the individuals in Thessalonica. And they heard him at his word and said, we, we want to try this for ourselves. Now, Paul commends them because he realizes that once they attach themselves to Christ, they will unfortunately draw fire from those who were the enemies of Christ. 
Those are the enemies of the cross. And this would be enough to deter most people. If we all knew that our association with a given thing would bring hardship on our lives, even though the very thing that we are associating with is, is for our good, it's for our good, but we knew there was going to be some hardship for it because there's many people who are like, you don't want to do that. Would we willingly enter into it? If the church at Thessalonica knew that they were going to form all of a sudden a series of enemies and misfortunes because Rome doesn't want them to exist, would they have still embraced the gospel? But they see in Paul, he embraces the gospel even though he has been imprisoned, beaten with rods, shipwrecked. I mean, if you go through the Galatians, Paul freely speaks of all the hardships that he has endured in order to do the work of the gospel. But why does that church endure? Why does Paul endure? And why are we called to endure? Because the very thing that we are attaching ourselves to supersedes all the hardship and all the disagreement and all the aggravation that might be associated with it. We don't truly fully appreciate, because it's very hard to, given the nature of the land that we live in and the fabric of our nation, we don't truly appreciate what it means to be persecuted for one's faith. Well, you might have some who will believe that they're being persecuted for their faith, but Christianity is a pretty dominant religion in this nation and has easy access. We are all free to come to church, check out feeds online. You know, there's, no, there's nobody trying to obscure and interrupt your feed or to bar you. I mean, you might step over the occasional deer on the way to church. I mean, you never know. Could happen. I mean, I, things like that sometimes happen. I mean, there might be some oddities, but nobody is actually like latching onto you and standing with sentries at the door and saying, I'm sorry, you can't enter here. Where they sneak in when you're not around, take all your Bibles away and have a bonfire in your, in your church lawn. See, we don't have that understanding of the hope of this gospel being wrestled from us. But that's the reality that the church in Thessalonica was dealing with. They were dealing with the reality that any moment... Any moment, centurions could come in and break up the party. Any moment, one of them could be arrested just for being out in the open and hauled away and fed to the beasts, burned at a stake, dispatched with the sword. So they had, they had to truly think about this decision. I want to follow Christ. I want to be attached to the Holy Spirit, but I also want to live. I also want to be alive. I don't want to be persecuted. Follow the Holy Spirit or try to eat, live the easy life. The example that Paul set before them was so pure an example. It so emboldened them that they said, we attach ourselves to the Holy Spirit no matter what. It might even mean our lives. It might even mean our quality of life. It might even mean being persecuted unjustly, but we attach ourselves to the Holy Spirit because the rewards of that relationship far outweigh any pains in this earthly life. And such was the tenacity of that early church in Thessalonica that their example pretty soon overrode the example of Paul. Paul says, listen to this, this is so wonderful that Paul says right now. So you became an example so much to the believers in Macedonia and Achaia 
For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith has God become known so that we have no need to speak about it. Paul says, your witness of faith is so powerful, we don't even need to talk about it because it is well established. When is the last time that we've had an example of faith, an example of anything that has been so well established that we have no need to speak of it? Like when you know a person by their character that when they walk in the door, you don't have to ask them what they've been up to because they have been so consistent in their example of whatever that you know what they've been up to because this is what they've done for the longest time that you've known them. This is the, this is the goal of every person of faith, to be like this church in Thessalonica, to understand that the imitation of Christ is not only an, an, an open invitation, but it's one that we are called to take seriously. It is the prerogative of every Christian to attach ourselves to the personage of Christ and to repeat as often as necessary his example, no matter what the cost. Read the Gospels for yourself. Jesus didn't have an easy time. He was the Son of God, but yet he still ran against those who were like questioning what he was doing. Who are you? By whose authority? Why are you here? Why are you keeping company with these people? Why are you going there outside of this district? Why are you giving hope to the hopeless? Why are you doing these things? And Jesus is like, I bring new life so that the deaf can speak, the blind can see, the captives can be set free. Why do you stand in the way of the reality of God's liberation? And that's a question that I think is still a very valid question. Why would the people of God dare stand in the way of the message of liberation? God still wants to set captives free. Captives from the demons of mediocrity, low self-esteem, depression, addiction, the very things that we battle with in our present-day world. Our demons are not always external. It's not always somebody who is external from us who is opposing us. We might want to play it that way, but sometimes our afflictions are internal. That a person seeing us, sitting across from them, we would have no idea what turmoil is going on inside of them because we cannot read it on their face, we cannot read it in their behavior. We can press them with questions, but they can tell us any sort of answers to keep us from getting anxious, so we have no idea what's truly brewing beneath the surface of an individual across from us. But God knows. God is well aware of these things that rob us of sleep. God is well aware of those things that give us odd notions that rob us of peace. When you were a child, and for those of you who are watching these who are still children, think about this. When you were a child, you had individuals around you that were close to you. Let's call them parents. These parents would set examples for you. They would model certain types of behavior. And it's only as you get older that you realize that sometimes maybe your parents didn't really have their game together. I know my mother's watching this, and so she, she understands. I'm a preacher, Mom. You just got to deal with it. But you did right by me. I'm in church. That's, that's for Myron. Yeah. Myron's like, you need to say hi to your mom on these videos. 
Hi, Mom. <laughs> but parents set for you an example. They try to help you as, as children in your formative years build a foundation. They try to teach you right from wrong. And the lessons that we receive from our parents, we are called to imitate. Sometimes we end up imitating the very things that they didn't want us to pay attention to. It's like, where did you learn that word? From daddy. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's the last time you go and work in the shop with your father. <laughs> it's like, all of a sudden, you've got a whole new vocabulary that you can't use anywhere except for the tavern. And the, which also is something that you learn from dad. But the fact of the matter is, is that this relationship of imitation, this is not some far off distant notion. This is something that we learn from early on. We look at individuals, we see how they navigate and make their way through life. We pull those life lessons and weave it into our own fabric. Some of us are doing the same things that we learned many years ago from our parents didn't come to us. Maybe we've made some embellishments and we've kind of flipped it and tricked it out to suit our own needs, but we learned it from mom or we learned it from dad or we learned it from our grandparents and we took those life lessons into our life and we pay them forward to our children. So there's an essence of influence that we grew up with and that surrounds us that still carries us. Paul is basically using that example and saying, think of your heavenly parent. Think of the Holy Spirit as becoming somebody that once our lives intersect with God and Christ, there are life lessons that God wants to show us in Christ. And we are not to forget these lessons. We are to imitate this behavior. So the compassion that we see in Jesus, this capacity to be able to meet people right where they're at and to hear them and to listen to them, and to bless them and to encourage them. This comes right from the pages of the gospel, whichever one you want to read. And if we are going to call ourselves Christians, followers of Christ, then the example of our behavior has to come from the one who is the figurehead. Has to come from the founder. That founder being Christ. And Paul says, blessed is the community that can hear the word of God, live the word of God in such a way that we have no need to speak about it because you know that when you come into contact with these individuals, you are coming into contact with the living God. So this opening chapter of Thessalonians is a word of praise. It's a word of congratulations. It's a word of congratulations that you were not dismayed in being a person of faith because the reward far outweighed the setbacks. It far outweighed the punishment of individuals who didn't want you to practice your faith. It far outweighed the inconvenience of perhaps being known as a person of faith, being mocked, being ridiculed. Attachment to Christ created an identity that would not be possible without that attachment. So Paul encourages the church in Thessalonica to continue on imitating Christ because people are watching, people are listening, people are plugging in, and it's becoming this example that they want to follow. The best way to build 
the household of faith is not really with words. It's with actions. It's with, with deeds. You can speak kind words to an individual, or you could show them a kindness. And in showing someone a kindness leaves an indelible impression upon someone. Even so much as two individuals are heading to a door at the same time, and then one stops and defers or grabs the door for those doors that don't open themselves and to let the other person go in. A simple kindness, a simple kindness can be like, wow, this is, you ever been in a line? at the shops, and you're there, you've got five items, the person behind you has like a little packet of batteries or something, and you say, is that all you got? You don't need to wait for me because I'm going to write a check and put coupons down and waste all your time. Just, if that's all you have, go for it. And they go, you sure? I say, yeah. I'm in no rush today. I'm feeling generous today. I'm not going to buy your, your items for you. I'm not that generous. But I will let you go first. Simple gestures. You don't have to get in there and say, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because if you do, I'll let you go first. No, it's not, it's not like that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a wager. It's just a simple observance of sometimes we can just do these things and it's no skin off our back. It's no skin off our back. There was a gimmick that was running around in... California at the time because they had toll bridges and it was that if you were crossing a toll bridge you'd pay for the car behind you now hucksters found a way to exploit this because they would pay the toll behind them and they'd leave a business card and say give this to the car behind me you know it's like hey try out my insurance eh. it got a little smarmy but there's that sense in which it began under good pretenses because tolls rack up in the Bay Area but there's that sense in which it's like, hey, take one for the team. It's, we have no idea the way that the church in Thessalonica was modeling and imitating Christian behavior. What we do know from Paul is that the word got out. People were talking about it. People were experiencing their love and their compassion. And the word spread so much that it got back to Paul, that Paul heard about it. And Paul's like, I've been hearing some good things about you. Now, I would love for us to be of like mind, not out there doing it and embracing the gospel so people can talk about, oh, what wonderful individuals they are at First Congregational in McGregor, but doing it in order that people might be able to come into contact with the God that we proclaim, the God that dwells within us, and the God that always gives us the liberty to be able to choose from serving ourselves today, in this moment, or serving another. And if we serve another, then quite possibly we are sowing the seeds of transformation for somebody else who comes into contact with that kindness, comes into contact with that generosity, and says, wherever this has come from, whatever's behind it, I want in. I want in. So we do these things in order that we might be able to continue to foster the likeness of Christ in areas where it's sadly lacking. But we are not without agency. And we must always remember that. We might think, oh, I'm one individual. What can I do? You can do an immeasurable amount. The question is, 
do we want to? So reread this passage in Thessalonica for yourself, first chapter, and draw upon the likeness of what it means to imitate Christ and to encourage others through our example to do like. Let us pray. Joyfully, Lord, we, we thank you for the words of Thessalonians this morning come to us like a words of encouragement, a goal that we ourselves can pursue. No further preparation needed, just the attitude and the frame of mind to want to go out and to model the things that we have learned, the stuff that we know about Christ. An opportunity for us to show a bit of compassion, even in simple, almost forgettable ways. But they are certainly significant to those who experience them. We ask, Lord, that you would lay your hand of blessing upon those who are sick, those who are in recovery, those in hospital right now. We thank you once again for the progress that Mary continues to make as her body heals. Continue to bless and guide her, and strengthen her each day, and allow her to make adjustments so she can trust her body and to not overextend herself. We pray for those who, who travel, that they might have safe journey to and from their destinations. 
We pray for those cleaning up from storm damage and ravaged, still fighting fires. We pray for a smooth election season in our nation, that it would not be fed with dissension from any camp, but that we could remember ourselves as a civil community, having spirited debates, but always parting with the best of intentions. We seem to have forgotten what that's like. But it's not beyond us. Help us remember. Help us remember what it's like to be friends who have differing opinions. We come before you just as we are. We ask your guidance in our life. We ask you to give us the courage to imitate those things which are worth duplicating and repeating, letting go of examples that are not worthy for a, a good witness. Help us to just shelve that stuff and put it away and to embrace the greater example set forth by your son, Jesus. Tell us that the way he lived is not beyond us. It is accessible. We can do it. Show us how. Receive these prayers that your people set before you today in Jesus' name. Thank you for receiving these, the prayers of your people. Collect them into your care. And let your blessing fall upon us as we pray as one. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may at this time ready your communion kits. I will read our affirmation of faith. We covenant with the Lord and with one another and do bind ourselves in the presence of God to walk together in his holy ways. We will strive to be doers of the word and not hearers only to be firm in faith, quickened in hope, and constant in charity. And we will consecrate our time, talent, substance, and influence as heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Merciful God, we ask now that you would receive the burdens that we carry, that you would allow us to unload these things 
to just leave them behind, set them aside, to not dwell upon them. The stigma of making mistakes is something that has derailed many a life and set people back from being able to accomplish those things which they are rightfully prepared for. It arrests our thinking and stops our movement. So we ask, Lord, that as we prepare to partake of these elements that remind us and connect us with you, that you will also remind us once again of our salvation, of our redemption, of our renewal. In Jesus' name, amen. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. He took the bread, he blessed and divided it, and says, this is my body which has been given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. They shared the cup together. Christ's blood shed for the remission of sins. Let us take the cup of life. Beloved and most merciful God, that's how simple forgiveness should be. Gone in the blink of an eye. Our sins, our brokenness. We thank you for keeping your eye upon us, for blessing us and for gifting us, not only with the resources that we have, but the wisdom and the capacity to share. Help us once again to be imitators of Christ, bold in our witness and far in our reach. Remember us as we venture every day to remember you. Amen.
Please rise for the blessing. The Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and grant you peace. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. <laughs>